Well, I encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to pick up our reading at verse 22. I know the bulletin says verse 25, but we'll begin a few verses earlier. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Our text will be John 6, beginning at verse 60. So I will not reread that, but that will be the focus. This is coming off the heels of Christ feeding the 5,000. And we pick up at verse 22. I believe that's page 1,228 in your pew Bibles before you. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. This is the Word of the Lord. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which His disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but His disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me, and the one who comes to Me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about Him, because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For My flesh is food indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And now our text, congregation. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by the Father, by My Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Again, this is the word of the Lord. We give thanks to God for it. And may the Holy Spirit illumine our hearts as it applies to our lives through faith. Well, beloved saints, most of us, of course, are familiar with our passage tonight. John chapter 6 contains some of the most basic, fundamental teachings of the kingdom of heaven. It teaches us that in order for us to inherit eternal life, we must be in union and must have communion with Jesus Christ. We must be partakers of His flesh. Partakers of His blood. That's what we look to, right, when we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A feast where that union, that communion is proclaimed along with the death of our Lord and Savior. This chapter also powerfully shows that our eternal salvation rests only in God the Father. 
Our salvation does not hinge on a political Messiah. It does not rest in a physical temple in Jerusalem. It does not rest on how we feel. Instead, our salvation rests in the person who's speaking here. In the work, in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who ascribes to his own self the I am statements. That's precisely what Jesus came to earth to proclaim. Remember, that's what John is recording for us here in his gospel. What does he start out with? I am, or in the beginning, was the Word. Christ, our Emmanuel, came down and tabernacled with us. The triune God in the person of His Son came, died, rose again so that we might have life. And that we might have life in abundance. And really, the Gospel of John does a very straightforward way of saying that. It's a great place, I think, for us to start in our, just our mission work, in our evangelism efforts. Right? If you have a co-worker, if you have a neighbor, somebody who's, who's completely new to the faith, start by reading the book of John. You don't have to start in Genesis. You don't have to start with, with Romans or Galatians or, or even that. Start, just start by reading the Gospel. It's a very effective way for us to do that. Just open the Bible and read it together. And yet, as simple, as clear as the message is here of who Jesus is, we also understand at the same time that this basic teaching of the kingdom of heaven is something that confounds men and women. The preaching of the kingdom of Christ, the the kingdom of heaven, as we see here in our passage tonight, is something that isn't always well received, is it? At least not in the context here in the first century. We read earlier in in verse 41, the Jews then complained about Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And what do they say? Isn't this the, the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Somebody we know? What is it that he says that, that I came down from heaven, right? They couldn't comprehend what he was what Jesus was saying. Never mind that, that he was ascribing to himself words that they would have known, the I am that I am of Exodus chapter 3. So, what we see here, saints, along with many other portions of God's holy word, is that even the self revelation of Jesus, that which is clear, is something that is not always accepted. The Jews didn't receive Him. They didn't receive His message. Christ Himself says in verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen Me, but you do not believe. And we'll get into what that means. Or how that manifests itself here in this story. But see, that's something, that's a reality that has been the case ever since the fall. The Gospel, that which you and I are here to to hear again. That which we send forth ministry, missionary people. We we support them with our prayers, with with our dollars, right? That very thing, the world rejects. It's not palatable. 
to man in his sinfulness. So what we're going to see tonight together is that in order for us to see the beauty of the Gospel, we have to have our eyes opened. We must have the Lord Himself draw us to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. We're going to consider John chapter 6 with the acceptance of Christ's Word. Three things. We'll consider first a harsh teaching. Secondly, a heavenly teaching. And then finally, a humble teaching in this reality. So in verse 60, the Apostle John records for us the initial response of all that we just heard about Christ's teaching. John says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now realize, brothers and sisters, that this here is a statement of rejection. It's not, it's not a question of genuine inquiry, right? Where, where let's wait and see what Jesus has to say about this. No, their response is one of outright unbelief. In their eyes, nobody can accept what He's just said. And just for a moment, think about the, the tragedy of this reality. The voice of the One, the One crying in the wilderness, the, the Son of God, the One who came down to us, the Divine Logos, the Word, the One who never lies, says something that man in his rebellion rejects. It's mind-boggling to even just think about that. I mean, we're so used to it. But there are a couple of things here that, that sort of draw out, highlight to us the, the, the agonizing reality of this rejection. Things that, that really shock us here. First, what do we see? This response is coming from who? It's Jesus' disciples. Now, it's not the twelve specifically here, but these were disciples of Jesus. Legitimate followers. These were men and women, right, who had followed Jesus from town to town. They, like Peter, like the other twelve, had, had left their former lifestyles, had left maybe their families in order that what? They might sit under the teaching of this Jewish rabbi. Fascinating just reality. Now think about that. The, these were those who followed Jesus. This wasn't those like the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees who from the very beginning opposed Jesus, questioned His authority. No, these people who rejected Jesus here were those who He knew. These were people, saints, who were likely in the presence of Jesus for a while now. They had likely grown familiar with each other. They had probably had intimate conversations with our Lord Jesus Christ. They ate, they talked with Him, they shared their burdens with Him perhaps. And yet at the end of the day, what, what do we know? They, they didn't believe. They were among them but not really one of them. But see, it's more than just that there were disciples. It was many disciples, right? There were many disciples, we are told. 
And that teaches us something too, I think. You know, we're not given the exact number here, but I think that, that Jesus' question later on to the twelve disciples reveals that this was more than just a, a small group of people. That's seen by just the manner, uh, the question of, of Jesus uh, when He asked the disciples, do you also want to go away? See, this was more than just a doubting Thomas moment. This was a wholesale rejection. A changing of the guard. Much like when a large group splits from the church. Now we're not getting our way, so we're just going to leave. It's not what I signed up for. I realize this would have been painful to Jesus in His humanity. He was publicly forsaken in this moment. This would have probably in those times been scandalous. For us, if a majority of all of our congregation, right, if a bunch of us all left at once, that would raise some eyebrows in the community, don't you think? Hey, I wonder what happened there. I wonder what the pastor did. I wonder what the elders are doing. There were likely those who said that about Jesus here. But see, we're told why they left. It's not because of a scandal. It's not because of an indiscretion. Why do they leave? They leave because of the teaching of the Savior. It was the truth He was saying. Verse 60, what do we read? This is a hard saying. Who could understand it? What Jesus had to say in chapter 6, to these people was difficult for them to grasp. The, N, or the New King James Version says that it's hard. So does the NIV. I think it's probably best to interpret it more so as harsh. This is a harsh teaching. This is a harsh saying. I think the word hard there leaves the impression that it's difficult just to comprehend, right? It's sort of like honors calculates. This is just too hard for me. Oh, this is harsh. This is piercing the soul. Now, that, just to be clear, too, does not mean that the preaching of the kingdom as a whole unit itself or the gospel itself ought to be given in a manner that. that deliberately offends, that we're harsh. It's not implied here at all. And that's because it's not the style, it's not the presentation that offended the Jews here by Jesus. It's the person. It's the One who's speaking. And in this instance, it's Christ Himself. The message, saints, that Christ was telling them, that which we embrace through faith here in this place, did not sit well with wicked man. It still doesn't. Man does not want to hear today about a salvation that comes only through faith, only by grace. It has nothing to do with our hands. They want nothing to do with it. Man today wants nothing to do with a Christ who needs to go to the cross, who wants to go, who does go fully. Man detests that message. He detests that Savior. It's foolishness. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. 
cross, folly. And Jesus, of course, knew this more than anyone. He not only experienced this rejection here, he experienced it at Calvary, didn't he? He knew the hearts of men like you and I never can. He knew that there would be disciples that would leave him. He knew that Judas would be the one to betray him, and yet he willingly does it. He knew that those intimate conversations with these many disciples would be exposed for what they are. I think our text bears it out. And see, that gives us today, that gives you as a church, it gives me as a pastor something to to really reflect on here. To consider moving forward perhaps. This response, which has been inherent in man since the fall in Adam, will continue to be the response of man apart from grace. It is something, the the, the Gospel, brothers and sisters, is something that, that flesh inherently rejects wholesale. We cannot change that by our own strength. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. You and I cannot make the gospel more palatable than it already is. We can't. We can't change it with, with tricks, with gimmicks. We can't make it more relevant. In the hope that man will, well, will accept it now. Even Christ doesn't do that. Neither should we. See, the sad thing is today, many churches are are doing just that. They try to to downplay the truth of the Gospel. They they try to downplay the person of Christ. Well, we don't need to know about Jesus. We don't need to to, to dig deep at who He truly is here in John chapter 6. And we certainly don't have to talk about doctrinal things. Make it more palatable. Let's downplay the doctrine of election. Let's not preach it. It's too difficult. Too harsh. A message of divine and eternal judgment, right? How often do you hear that today? It's too harsh. Repentance. Let's not teach that. God is a God of love. A God of grace. It's all true. We don't want to scare people away with church discipline. But see, all of these things, when preached according to the Word of God and not man, are all revolved around what? The Gospel. We study the confessions that bears itself out too. All of these things go back to what? The cross. To Jesus. To grace, to mercy, to justice, to who God is, to who He is as revealed in His Son. That's what we're seeing here in John chapter 6, saints. And so therefore, any approach for us to, to, to try and alter this message, to try and downplay what Jesus has to say here, it's too harsh, is foolishness. Absolute foolishness. Things that we try to do to change the heart of man when they need the Holy Spirit. They need the truth. They need the One who says no one can come to the Father except through Me. Do we believe that? Or do we just pay lip service to it? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let that be our first take home this evening together. You and I cannot change the heart of man. 
Reverend Barnes can't do it. As learned as he is. And we cannot water down the message in hopes of of changing that heart of stone. Any attempt for us, right? That's a common thing today with Christians. We need to be nice and tolerant. Okay, I can see what you're saying there, but not if, if it's against this. Not if it's with the cost of this being undermined. Instead, what do we know? We wholeheartedly agree with Paul what he says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now there's something else here in our passage tonight that that reinforces this, this reality. And I think it's something that helps us understand why. Okay, we understand that, that men and women reject it, but, but, but why? Why does the world reject what Jesus has to say here? Well, it actually has something to do with where Jesus comes from. Note what Jesus says in verse 62 there. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. See, what Jesus is saying here, saints, is that what He speaks is true because of where He is from and where He is going. Just as He came down as the divine Logos, in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. That's where He's from. But it also has in view where He's headed. Right? He's speaking of the ascension here. The Emmanuel, who, who as we confess, we confess it in the Apostles' Creed, who is the seated at the right hand of God the Father. Do we believe it? See, the ironic thing is for that many of these disciples who rejected Jesus that day, had they continued to follow Jesus up through His his death, up through His resurrection, where would they have found themselves? They would have found themselves on the mount. They would have seen Jesus ascend into heaven, which would have confirmed their faith. Right? They they wanted signs. That's what we see in throughout John chapter 6. Yeah, that's where does the end of the Gospel of John lead us to? Acts, Acts 1, the ascension. But because these disciples did not truly believe in Christ now, they of course don't get to see that. They don't get to experience that confirmation of who Jesus is and what He is teaching here. And so I want you to, to note the order there, saints of the sign confirming that which we accept in faith. See, you don't believe because you, you conjure it up in yourself, because you see something and then, oh, I have the means to interpret that. No, you have faith first. The Holy Spirit implants that faith as Christ Himself teaches in our hearts so that we can then discern these amazing acts. It doesn't work the other way around, right? There are many people today who, and throughout history who claim, well, if only Jesus would come in the flesh now. If only Jesus were, were to do some amazing miracle in my life, well, then I would believe. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. 
They didn't hear. Christ Himself says otherwise. Even if they see the Son of Man, as many of these disciples did, they still would not believe in who He was. And So what is Jesus doing here? He's turning to the source of His teaching. That it comes from heaven in order to show that those who believe that teaching are also born from heaven. And that's what God's Word says, right? What must I do to be saved? You must be born again. It's not a matter of flesh and blood. Because the message of salvation comes from heaven, those who are inclined to the principalities of this earth will not and cannot accept it. And that also bears itself out in our text here. In verse 66, what does John tell us? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They no longer followed Jesus. It was a watershed moment, realize. Literally, in the Greek, the text here means that these disciples went away to the things they had left behind. So I mentioned earlier with Peter where he, we read that he dragged up, he pulls up his boat. He's a fisher, fisherman. He, he pulls his boats on shore, symbolic of what a disciple would do. Leave your, your life behind. Leave all that thing in the past and follow Jesus. This is a reversal of that. They're putting the boats back in the water now. Returning to their former lifestyle. Waiting maybe for the next teacher to come along that suits their passions. Why? Because in this instance, they, they met a Savior who wouldn't meet their expectations. Whatever that was. So they go back home. Again, a, a shocking moment. A shocking moment for the disciples, of course, we know that this doesn't shock Jesus in the same way it does for us. He wasn't surprised one bit. But for us, it's a different story, isn't it? You know, when this takes place, this sort of thing takes place in our midst, it absolutely blows us away, doesn't it? And we don't like to talk about this. People that we have, have sat and fellowshiped with, invited in our homes, prayed with, sat in Bible studies, come to the table of the Lord's Supper together, who go away. No longer following Jesus. Notice the older you get, the list of people, right, who you know what this has happened gets longer and longer. They go back to the things that they loved. Never to be seen again. Why? Not, not because they, went and they had to move and they went to another church, a Bible-believing church. But they left because why? The teaching was too harsh. Jesus, through the preaching of the Gospel given to the church, said something or some things that offended them. Well, this doesn't make sense. I don't accept that. Now, of course, I say realizing full well that, that we don't have perfect discernment in these things, right? We, we can't make assumptions just based on people who aren't in our midst anymore. We don't have the book of life in front of us, nor do we claim to. Are those who left our midst truly Christ's disciples? I'll leave that for God to decide. 
But it's a matter of spiritual fact here that there are those who were in our fellowship who truly did not believe. 1 John 2, verse 19 says, "What They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. That's John speaking, the same author. I don't think it's wrong to assume that, that the Apostle John, when he was writing his epistle, thought of this exact moment here in John chapter 6. Now, yes, we can't make sense of it all, but Jesus can. And that's our final consideration here. In that truth, what does Jesus do? He asks the disciples another simple question, as He often does. Verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And it's a question, brothers and sisters, that that requires a negative answer, of course. It's a question that that Jesus isn't prefacing with true inquiry. Like, hey, I really need to know, Peter. Tell me, I don't know. No, it's a question that, that is of inquisition. It demands an answer. An honest one. He's seeking a certain response. Now, Christ knew the answer. Because He knows their hearts. He knows Judas's heart, we're told here, specifically, explicitly. That's why He begins to expose it here, right? That's why He says, one of you is a devil. Jesus, unbeknownst to the disciples at that time, they, they don't wrap their heads around that yet. But, but let's leave Judas to the side here for a moment. Because I think we, can, we tend to, to, to follow that rabbit trail here and miss, I think, the important element. Instead, we want to contemplate something else. See, because what Jesus is doing here in this question, saints, He's asking it to those who are still in His presence. To those who are still in the outer surface followers of Him. He knows the heart of Peter when he asks, you do not want to leave too, do you? Why would he say that? Why would Jesus ask Peter, and everything we know about Peter, that question? Why put him on the spot like that? Well, I think, surmise, it's because of the humble truth that applies to every one of us sitting here tonight. And the truth is this, saints. Jesus knows that we consistently and constantly need to search our own hearts with respect to our following Him. I'll say that again. Jesus knows that we consistently and constantly need to search our own hearts. Those who claim to follow Jesus. Those who have stood up before this assembly in profession of faith do we still believe? Jesus knows that we are wont to place our faith, to place our trust, to place our discipleship in someone, something other than Him today. He knows that. What do we sing in the words of the great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We sing it. 
even well-meaning Christians struggle with this. Well-versed men, women of esteem, people who know their theology, know their doctrine, have served on the elder board, have the appearance of godliness and yet who don't follow Jesus. Truly. Maybe they follow a spiritual leader. Maybe it's a pastor. Go to church because they like listening to his messages. He preaches very moving and applicable sermons. They they get a lot out of the conversations that they share together in person. But when push comes to shove, do they really follow Jesus? A lot of people go to church for that reason. Oh, you you should have heard Reverend Barnes' message. Okay, that's fine to do. But who do you believe in? Who must decrease so that Christ must increase? Maybe they follow a spiritual leader who isn't even living anymore. Maybe they're a Calvinist, a Lutheran. But they don't follow Jesus. They know all the doctrinal differences. They can argue with the best of them, but when it comes to their personal walk with the Lord in answering to that question, they're not so sure. Do you also want to go away? It's a question that Jesus is asking every one of us here tonight who have come through these doors before, who will come in again. Who do you think I am? Are you the, is Jesus the I am that I am? God who's revealed Himself in the flesh, who's died for you? Or just, yeah, I believe that there's a God. And Jesus is saying to the disciples that He knows and loves here, did I not choose you? Again, He brings it back in this struggle, right? In, in our understanding of this, where do we flee to? To our own devices? To our own understandings? Our own righteousness? No. Did I not choose you? Being being chosen implies something, doesn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, that means something. It doesn't just mean that, well, at 18 I made profession of faith. I'm in good standing on the rolls of the membership here. It means we follow Him. It means we reject that which the world claims is true that clearly is not. It means we suppress the passions of the flesh that we know are against, as I said, God's Word. It means that that we submit ourselves to the harsh teachings of the Scriptures. That you know what? Humiliates us. That causes us to say, Lord, who am I? I do not deserve Your grace. Not what my hands have done. And it means that we're continually reliant upon God's grace for that. It means when we come through these doors each week, we cannot wait to follow Jesus and submit to these sayings. What does Peter say? After Jesus asked this question, but Simon Peter, verse 68, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
Who shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Acceptance of Christ's Word, saints, cannot be done by yourself. If you rely on your own strength, you will be one of those that picks up his things and leaves. But when you know, when you come to this Savior who promises that He who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Christ, the day He returns, He will keep you. Trust in that, saints. Believe in that. There's nothing greater than knowing that He keeps us. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You praise this evening knowing that You call us to follow You. You call us, as Your Word clearly explains tonight, that in order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to be in a right standing with God, we must be partakers of You, of of Jesus Christ. Lord, the things of the Gospel, we readily admit tonight, are harsh on our ears. It doesn't surprise us that the world rejects your word. It shouldn't shock us. Yet, Lord, we also acknowledge that we're inclined to reject it too. That you consistently call us to reflect whether it's been years since we've made profession of faith, whether we're new to the faith. Where shall we go? Do you want to leave too? Lord, may our answer to those questions rest solely in You and nothing else. That Your name would be glorified and that Your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.